I'm so excited about this word today because y'all, I had planned to preach something totally different. And then about a week and a half ago, I was in a conversation with somebody and I'm going to share it with you in a moment, but I was in a conversation with them and, and the spirit of God began to speak through me in that conversation. And the Lord said to me, this is what I want you to preach. And I was like, but Lord, I only got a week and I have all these engagements I have to prepare for. I don't have time. I don't have time. And God said, well, you can either do what I've told you to do, or you can do what you prepared without me. And I said, well, I'll take option A. <laughs> so I'm excited about what God wants to say today. Today we are continuing in our series on the open doorway. And um, for those of you that have been a part of this series, this has been going on for, for a while now. Um, but it's important that we talk about this because the Open Door Way is the set of values that Pastor Tim and I have articulated for this church because we want to create a church culture that is healthy. How many of you know that healthy things grow? Healthy things grow. And so uh, we've been praying and we were seeking God about, Lord, what should the values of this church be? Because culture is essentially just the summation of the values, the behaviors, the traditions of a given population of people. And so we want the culture of Open Door to be healthy. So the Open Door way is about our culture. So uh, we've talked about a few of the values. There are six values. We've talked about um, four of those values. Can we get those on the screen? We've talked about we live to serve. We've talked about we passionately pursue excellence. We've talked about we generously give our three T's. That's our time, talent, and treasure. And we also have talked about we honor the family as sacred. So those are the four values that we have covered thus far. And now we're going to pivot today to talk about the fifth value, which I believe is the value that all of this hangs on. We lead with love. Repeat that. We lead with love. So I want to go ahead and define this value for us just so we know what we're talking about when we say we lead with love. This value says we trust and respect each other and ensure that our words, actions, and intentions edify everyone we connect with while confirming that we belong to Christ. I want us to spend some time on a few parts of this because I think they're so important, but uh, notice it says uh, we ensure that our words, actions, and intentions edify. You see, a lot of times we focus on what we say and what we do, but what we don't realize is God is not even concerned about what we say and what we do. He's concerned about the heart. Amen. And intentions live in the heart. So we want to create a culture where not only do our words, actions, and intentions honor God, but they also edify everyone that we connect with. Now, the word edify means to strengthen, to support, to uplift, uh, to undergird. And so we want everything that we say, everything that we do, every motivation of our heart should have the goal of strengthening, supporting, undergirding other people. But the message today is actually about this last part, because I think this is the part that we often forget, which is we want everything that we do to confirm that we belong to Christ. Why does this matter? In John chapter 13, Jesus was preparing his disciples for his imminent crucifixion. 
He said many, many important things to them on that night to prepare them for what was going to happen. But verses 34 through 35 are important. John chapter 13, verse 34 through 35. He says, a new command I give you. Now, I'm going to pause right there. If Jesus says, I'm giving you a command, we probably should pay attention. Amen? So he says, a new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. It's most interesting to me that of all of the things, of all the attributes that Jesus could have selected, to signify who his disciples were, he said, loving one another. It's interesting to me that Jesus didn't say, you will be known by your theological astuteness. You will be known by how often you pray, by how often you fast. You will be known by your attendance in church. You will be known by how much of your wealth you give to the poor. Of all the, the attributes that Jesus could have pointed to, Amen. to say this is how they will know that you are my disciples, Jesus said it will be your love for one another. So I believe that we need to understand this. A lot of times when love is, is taught in the church, we talk from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And many of you know it. This is where the Apostle Paul, he, he gives all the characteristics of love, right? Well, it's interesting because what he said in this chapter is he said, you know, you can have all of the uh, scriptural eloquence in the world. You can, uh, you can be the most philanthropic in the world. He said, uh, you can even die. You can become a martyr for the gospel. But if you don't have love, none of it matters. You know, I believe there are going to be some pastors who meet Jesus and they tell him all the churches that they started and all the ministries that they started and all of the things that they did. And Jesus is going to say, oh, I'm sorry, who, who are you again? I believe that there are going to be some millionaires who are going to stand in front of Jesus and they're going to talk about all of the money they gave to charity and all of the lives that were changed because of what they did. And Jesus is going to say, oh, I'm sorry, I, I didn't catch your name. I believe that there are going to be some people who are going to be very surprised when they get to the judgment seat because of all the indicators that we work so hard to aspire to, Jesus said that your belonging to me will be confirmed by how you love one another. And it's because of this reason that we need to understand what love is. See, Paul says love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And you know what's interesting is as many times as I read that passage, I thought that was what love was. But you realize the characteristic of a thing 
is not the thing. So you see, my car is white, but the color white is not my car. This pulpit is covered with purple carpet, but the purple carpet is not the pulpit. So you see, when the Apostle Paul is saying love is patient and love is kind and love is all these things, he is saying that these are the characteristics of love. This is how love is expressed. This is how uh, love is manifested, but this isn't love. So if that isn't love, then we should wonder, well, what is love? Because in order for us to lead with love, we have to first understand what love is. I want to speak today from a subject that may intrigue you, and it's called Love Wars. Love Wars. You may be thinking, how is love war? I mean, isn't love the thing that ends wars? Isn't war started from a lack of love? Isn't love the thing that makes people like each other? I want to introduce to you today, out of the word of God, what love really is. We're going to be reading out of the book of Matthew, chapter 5. Only a few verses. Verses 43 through 46. Because love is a war. The Bible says in Matthew, chapter 5, beginning at verse 43, You have heard that it was said... Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. He said, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? So Pastor Tim mentioned that the Lord has really placed me in a season now that I would have never imagined. I mean, truly, I, I marvel at what God has done. So in addition to my work here at the church and my day job with Facebook, um, literally traveling over the world. I mean, this year we've been to Australia. Uh, we've been to Africa. We've been to London uh, several times. I mean, God, and, and not to mention all the states here in the U.S. It's, it's been incredible. And some of you have been able to travel with me, and you, you see that, I mean, 3,000, 5,000, 10,000 people. It's literally been mind-blowing. And inevitably, after I finish speaking, because I'm, I'm not the type of person that speaks and, and leaves. There are some people who they don't want to, you know, mingle with the masses. They just want to speak and leave. I don't do that. When, I'm, when I finish speaking, I want to go mingle with people, connect with people. So inevitably, when I do that, there's always a line of people uh, coming up to me and saying how much, you know, the message blessed them and, and encouraging me and saying how much they, they appreciated what was said, how much they were challenged and they were convicted. And it's, it's a blessing, but I learned something a long time ago and I live by it. It was uh, don't let praise go to your head and don't let criticism go to your heart. 
And so um, my response in all of this is always just two words, praise God. Because at the end of the day, nothing that I say can transform lives. Only the power of God can do that. And I know that. And so, um, you know, all of this has been happening, and, and, and the Lord has just been working in me. Uh, and, and, you know, as Pastor Tim said, he, he had been getting on me. He was like, you know, you really need to bring your voice back to open door. He was like, you're over here traveling the world preaching, and that's great, but God has planted you as a leader at open door, so we need your voice. And so he set a date, and he said, you're preaching. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> and so... <laughs> Similar to, I think, what Pastor Sam did to him, he did it to me. Um, and so I said, okay. And so around the same time that he set that date, I think I had three or four other engagements. And I don't recycle messages, just so y'all know. I'm not the type of person that preaches something five times and then, you know, I don't do that. I always look for a fresh word from God. And so I prayed and I was seeking God. I said, Lord, what would you have me to say to your people? And after I prayed about it and, and I felt like I really was, was, was confirmed in what God wanted to share, I said, okay, Lord, here we go. So I got up, preached. Uh, people came up afterwards saying how much they appreciated the message, how much it blessed them and challenged them. And, and I was like, okay, thank you, Lord. Amen. And so the following Sunday, uh, I was back in the office um, getting ready to pray over Pastor Tim, as I do every week before service. And uh, he walked in, and um, he handed me an envelope, and it had my name on it. And we thought that it was just a reimbursement check, um, because typically I'll buy things for the church, submit my little PO, and get the reimbursement. And so I got it, and I put it to the side as we were praying. I prayed over him. And after I finished praying, um, I said, okay, honey, I'll see you in the sanctuary. And so I opened up the, the, the envelope just to kind of see the, the check because I couldn't even remember what I put the reimbursement in for. And uh, there was a letter in there. And uh, it started off with uh, Lady Nona. And then I, I kind of read through it. And uh, the letter, it proceeded to tell me how wrong my message was, uh, how wrong I was, how um, God needed to change my heart, and just went through all this stuff. And, um, you know, I, I didn't know who it was from because it was unsigned. It was an unsigned letter. And so, um, you know, I, I wanted to go to the person, whoever it was. I was like, well, I need to talk to them and see what's going on, but I couldn't. So I asked the people in the office, I said, hey, did you see anybody come in here? And they said no. And uh, once they realized what was going on, they all said, throw the letter away. Just throw it away. Don't even give it the time of day. They didn't sign their name. Just throw it away. And so I did, but I was hurt by that thing. I was, but to be more precise, because we're family, I was angry. Can I just be honest? Yeah, um, because I couldn't imagine how for the first time in years that I preached at the church, church that I'm leading, first lady of, speaking out of the voice of God, why somebody would attempt to silence my voice. I couldn't imagine that, and um, I was upset about that thing. And so I, I called my spiritual mother. She happened to be in Australia. And I told her what happened because she has stuff like that happen all the time. And I said, I just need some wisdom. Like, what, what do I do? And she said to me, she said, Nona, she said, for where God is taking you, you ain't seen nothing yet. <laughs> she was like, that ain't nothing. She said, for where God is taking you, you have to get comfortable with opposition. She said, because when the enemy sees God moving in your life, he's going to attack you. And you just have to know that. You just have to know that is going to happen. 
And then she said to me something very powerful. She said, what you have to realize is they thought they were putting you in your place, but what they didn't know is they were actually giving the devil place. But what you have to do, Nona, is you have to pray for them. She said, you have to pray for them. She said, because the only way to counter attacks is a higher power. She said, you cannot stoop down to the level of anybody that would send you an unsigned letter. She said, you have to pray for them that they would have a true encounter with Jesus. And, you know, I, I bring this up for a reason because, you know, as the, the days and the weeks and the months went by, I forgot about it. Literally moved on. God is good. Moved on. I'm good. And about a week and a half ago, um, I was with someone and uh, they mentioned to me, they said, Lady Nona, that thing about that letter is still bothering me. How could somebody be so mean to do something like that? How could somebody disrespect you in that way? And as I was speaking to them, the, the word of God literally came out of my mouth in a way that I heard. I didn't even say this. Like, I didn't think it, but I said it. I know it was this, the power of God. God said, they didn't do it to me. They did it for me. Because only in opposition do we really get to understand love. Only when we are opposed do we really get to understand what it means to love somebody. And so when I say love wars, what I mean is, y'all, we're in a fight. There is a war happening in the heavenlies for the souls of men. And the enemy is working overtime to get us fighting each other when the reality is we're not in battle with each other. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. But if we're not careful, we will assume that you are my enemy and I am your enemy. And, and we will think that the battle is in this room, but y'all, the battle is not in this room. The battle is in the heavenlies. You know, what's interesting is... The Bible says that love never fails. And gay marriage activists, they appropriated that and they made it into their movement's slogan, love wins. You've heard this, right? Love wins. But what's interesting is uh, the rates of homosexual marriage divorce are as high as heterosexual marriage divorce. So obviously love is not winning if love never fails. So what is at work here? What is it that is happening here? I believe that many of us have confused love for affection. Many of us have confused this idea of love for something that we fall into. It's a passive experience. It's something that just happens. But I came to tell every single one of you in this room today that love does not just happen. Love is a war. It's something you have to fight for. It's something you have to fight through because anything that just happens doesn't require the power of God. Anything that just happens on its own does not require favor, does not require grace, it does not require mercy. Anything that just happens on its own just happens. Love does not just happen. So three things I want you to take from this today. The first is this. Love begins on the battlefield of the mind. 
Love begins on the battlefield of the mind. I want you to go back in your mind to that time when you met that, that spouse, that significant other that you just, you just loved. You just fell head over heels in love for. You just, oh my gosh, you just wanted to spend every second with them, every moment with them. You couldn't get enough of them. You just, I'm looking at them right there because that's the one right there. You just literally could not get enough of him. Everything was so easy. It was so natural. You just, it just, just happened so easily until it didn't. Until that first disagreement, that first argument, that first fight, that first heated fellowship, yes. And when that happened, it was like, it was like a veil was pulled from your eyes all of a sudden, right? See, before they passed gas and you thought it was a bed of roses, right? You were like, oh, did, did, did we just walk by roses? I mean, literally, they could do no wrong. Afterwards, they just wake up in the morning and say, hi, baby, and you're like, oh, Jesus, what is going on with you? Somehow, when the in love feelings end, reality sets in. And it's not that they change the way that you see them changed. And so now that the in love feelings are gone, you're left with a dilemma. Because you no longer feel the way that you felt. So what do you do when you no longer feel the way that you felt? You choose love. Because you see, when we are in this natural so-called state of in love, we are actually not controlling our emotions. We're just going with the flow, we're going with the tide. We like them, they like us, we love them, they love us. But when you have to actually choose now, that's where love becomes manifested. And that's where love becomes real. Uh, the book of Galatians talks about love in a very powerful way. Uh, Jesus said in our text in Matthew chapter 5, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? If you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that. You see, more than warm and fuzzy feelings, true love is a decision. It's a decision to choose a person. It's a decision to esteem them, to prefer them. It's a decision to see them in need and meet that need even when you don't like them, but you still love them. And that is why love is a war. It's a struggle between two opposing forces, the force of our spirit and the force of our flesh. You see, our flesh is going to constantly lean towards the lowest common denominator. What's the least I can do to get the most out of this? Our flesh is going to do as little as possible to get as much as it can because our flesh is selfish, but our spirit is selfless. And this is why love is a fruit of the spirit, whereas selfishness is a fruit of of the flesh. The Bible teaches that love is patient, that love is kind, that love never keeps a record of wrongs, but the paradox of it is that that's only true when it's not reciprocated. Think about this. 
How is love patient when you're frustrated? How is love kind when you're being disrespected? How does love not keep a record of wrongs when there is a record of wrongs to keep? That is when love is made evident, when it's not being reciprocated. You see, if everybody loves us and supports us and encourages us and is always there for us and all we get is hugs and high fives and dabs and everybody's all in our corner, that's not love, y'all. That's affection. And many of us have confused love for affection. But you see, what that anonymous letter taught me and what God taught me through that whole situation is that opportunities for offense are actually invitations to love. When we are offended is when we have an invitation to choose love. So leading with love requires offense. It requires opposition. We can't lead with love the people who we have affection for because we're not challenged. The only way we can lead with love is in the absence of love. And God showed me that in that situation when I was so upset, God said, see, you're missing what I'm doing. I am giving you an invitation to experience what true love is. Because as long as everybody loves you and is slapping your back and high five and they bringing you pound cakes and y'all can please do all that, praise God. But as long as everybody's doing that, you just have affection. I just love hanging out with, you know, Deacon Tony and Deacon Josh and Deaconess Erica and Deaconess Jody. I just love hanging out with them because they're so funny and they're so wonderful. But what about the people that talk about you behind your back? What about the people who know that you are sick and never call? What about the people that know you are in need but don't meet it? Do you love them too? Because if you only love the people who give you what you need, you don't have love, you have affection. Love begins on the battlefield of the mind. And we have to search ourselves and ask ourselves, are we only reserving love for the people who give us what we want, when we want it, when we feel like we need it? The thing we need to know is that while faith is the spiritual currency of God's kingdom, Love is the relational currency of God's people. And we want to be the kind of church that is not just rich in money, is not just rich in buildings and land. We want to be the kind of church that is rich in relationships, where people know that if I am in need, I can always go to somebody at open door and I can have my need met. Not in the four walls of the church, but if I see you in Publix, I know that right then and there I'm going to meet love because you see, if I can meet love, then I know I've met God because God is love. And there's no way, there is absolutely no way that we can say we know God and we love God when we don't have love for each other. Because Jesus said, this is how you will be known as my disciples. Love begins on the battlefield of the mind. Second point, physical wars destroy. Love wars restore. You know, when physical wars, wars of the flesh happen, they always leave destruction in their wake. There's always people and communities that are degraded and destroyed in the wake of a physical war, a war of the flesh. 
But when it comes to many of us as people, if we were actually honest, how many of us also leave destruction in our wake? How many of us talk about each other? How many of us don't support each other? How many of us avoid each other? How many of us see ourselves walking in the hallway and we turn and go the other way? How many of us do those things? Because when we do those things, we're actually destroying each other. You know what's been interesting to me is as I've been in this role and I've talked with people at other churches, church hurt is real, y'all. It's real. Because there are people who came to church for healing and they found destruction. They found attitudes. They found people who were like, oh, you don't look like me. You don't talk like me. You don't dress like me. So I don't want to sit near you. And they leave. Jesus said, I called you to be fishers of men. And we have become keepers of the aquarium, y'all. We're comfortable with the same people every week. Why? Because we know you. We trust you. You're familiar to us. But if we truly want to follow the mandate that Jesus gave to be fishers of men, what that means is we have to lead with love. We have to lead with love. We have to be a place where people are restored. The book of Galatians chapter 6, the apostle Paul said something so important. He said, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. The reason why this scripture is so foundational to the philosophy of leading with love is because two caveats in this scripture. Number one, the Bible is very clear that not everybody is up for the job of restoration. Because it says, you who live by the Spirit. See, some of us, we live by the flesh. So, you know, things happen, disagreements happen, and I'm just out of here. I don't, I don't want to restore nothing. I'm gone. That's a fleshly response. But Paul is saying, you who are spiritual, Restore them gently. What's powerful about that is that word gently is the Greek word patues, which means meekness. It's the same word that's used in listing out the fruit of the Spirit. What Paul is saying is that if you are truly led by love, you will seek to restore broken places. You will not be able to sit knowing that relationships are not reconciled. You will not be able to walk into church knowing that people have ought against you or that you have ought against somebody else. You know what God said? God never said to send an anonymous letter. You know what he said? He said, if you are offended, go to your brother. Do you know why he said that? So you have to read the whole passage. He said, go to your brother so you can win them. See, more than religion, God cares about relationship. And I think we get that twisted sometimes. We think, well, as long as I'm praying and as long as I'm fasting and as long as I'm showing up to church and I'm paying my tithes, my offering, and I'm serving in ministry, as long as I do all that, I'm good. But Paul said, you are a clanging symbol. If all you do is stuff and never restore relationships, if all you do is check boxes and you are still not in relationship with people, you have not love. He said, those of you who live by the Spirit, restore them gently in a spirit of meekness. And in order to be meek, you have to have a heart of restoration. You cannot be comfortable knowing that you're out of fellowship. There should be something within you that says, oh, this isn't right. You know why? 
because love is what defines our relationship as a disciple of Jesus. Not how often we attend church, not how many ministries we serve on, not how much we give, but our love for one another. If the first thing that you do when you're offended is hop on the phone and talk about the person, let me help you out. You are not spirit-led. You're not. Because the Bible does not tell us to defame. The Bible tells us to restore. So if the first thing that you are compelled to do is get on the phone and say, did you see what brother so-and-so said today? Did you see what sister such-and-such wore today? If that's the first leaning out of your natural self, you are not spirit-led. God is saying that we have to be a spirit-led church in order to lead with love. Why? Because love is a fruit of the spirit. And the thing about it is we get this so confused sometimes that this is not the church. See, we think that the building is the church, but the building is not the church. The building is a place where we gather. You are the church. I am the church. We are the church. So what that means is when we leave the building and we're out in the community, we're the church. This is where we gather. So the question is, when people meet us out in the community, are they meeting God? Are they meeting love when they meet us? Because that is how lives are going to be transformed. Galatians 6 goes on to say, carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. You see, we don't want to be the kind of church where the needs are only brought to me and Pastor Tim. We don't want to be the kind of church where only the deacons and the deaconesses and the compassionate care team are meeting the needs. We want to be the kind of church where when we see a need, we meet it because we saw it. We don't call somebody else and say, hey, I just saw that this happened, or hey, this person needs help. What we want to be is the kind of church where when we see a need, we meet it however we can, and then we report about it later. Oh, yeah, so-and-so had this need, but I went ahead and met it. Just want to let y'all know what happened. I am so grateful for our ministry teams here. There is so much that happens behind the scenes that you just don't even know. So much, because ministry is not Monday through Friday, 9 to 5. It's not even Sunday from 11 to 12.30. It is 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. There have been times where I've been on the other side of the world counseling somebody. There have been times where we have been at our son's football games and we've gotten urgent text or phone call because somebody is in need. Ministry doesn't close at the end of the week. There is no time that it's off. And that's why we need every single one of you in here. We need all of you to be leading with love because there are needs that are going to be brought to your attention that don't have to come to us because God wants to use you to meet that need. That's how you lead with love. Physical wars destroy. Love wars restore. There should be a heart of restoration, something within you that says, I cannot sit back while I know that there is brokenness. I cannot sit back while I know that relationships are not right. There has to be something within us that says, we've got to restore this in a spirit of meekness. A heart after God saying, I want to honor God and therefore I'm going to love even when it's hard. Because only when it's hard is it love. Because love is a war. The third point, the last point I want to make is that the mission of our war is accomplished when love subdues the flesh. Love subdues the flesh. You see, war is waged because there is something at stake. There is something to be won. There is a prize to be won. Nobody goes to war just because they don't have anything else to do, right? 
War happens because something is at stake. And what God is telling us today is that when we learn how to let love subdue our natural inclinations in the flesh, we will then win the prize of the fruit of the Spirit. The Bible tells us, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. See, when we are Spirit-led, we will naturally honor God with our life. When we are spirit-led, we will know that when opposition comes, that's an opportunity for us to walk in the spirit. See, some of us, when opposition comes, we yield to our flesh. And I'm going to make it plain. So you're driving along on the highway and somebody cuts you off. The flesh is ready to provide a one-finger salute, right? The flesh is ready to use... It's ready to use some, some choice words that we got delivered from, right? But the Spirit, the Spirit says, let me pray for them. Because in order for them to do what they did, something must be troubling them. And when we pray for them in that moment of frustration, we experience the fruit of patience. Another situation, so uh, let's say that your, your, your husband, he decides he's leaving you. He's leaving you with the kids. He's walking out on you. Now you're going to have to pay the bills by yourself. The flesh would say, I'm going to find a way to make this joker pay. <laughs> I'm going to find a way to hit him where it hurts. But the spirit will say, no. I'm going to pray and put my hope in the Lord and trust that he is going to work it out. And when we do that, we experience the fruit of joy. Amen. See, the only way to experience the fruit of the Spirit is to walk by the Spirit. Some of us are saying, well, I, I don't have joy. I don't have patience. I don't have love. I don't have kindness. I don't have all these things. And God is saying it's because you're constantly yielding to your flesh. The only way to experience the fruit of the Spirit is to allow yourself to walk by the Spirit, which requires subduing the flesh in every situation. Every time opposition comes to you, you choose the Spirit. Transparent moment. Last night we're at dinner. My husband doesn't know I'm going to talk about this. It's okay, babe. He's looking scared. <laughs> Last night <laughs> we were at dinner, and uh, we were talking, and, and Pastor started to, to choke on some pizza or something. And, uh, yeah, on pizza, I know. Yeah, not, not a chicken wing. No, it was a chicken wing. It was a chicken wing. I'm sorry. Let me give you that. It was a chicken wing. I don't want y'all to be like, if you're going to choke on something, choke on a bone or something. But anyway, so it was a, <laughs> so I choked on a chicken wing. So I was, I was, I was like, baby, you okay? What's going on? You okay? And so he was able to drink. So I knew that his, his um, uh, esophagus or trachea wasn't cut off. But uh, when he did get the opportunity to speak, y'all, he had a little attitude. I said, I said, babe, are you okay? He was like, yeah, I'm okay. I was just, just coughing. Man, like, what's, what's the problem? I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> now, in my flesh, y'all, <laughs> transparent, y'all, my family, I was like, no, he didn't. <laughs> Here I am trying to be the sweet, loving wife, 
and he gonna come at me sideways. So y'all, I'm sitting there eating my food. I'm not even talking. I'm just eating my food. I'm letting that thing marinate. I'm letting that thing marinate. And then the Spirit of God said, you're wrong. Instantly, I yielded to the Spirit and stopped. Instantly. Because I was able to, I was able to understand that if I allow the flesh to rule me, all that would happen is a schism with my husband. And the thing I want more than anything is oneness with my husband. So why would I allow an attitude to take me out of love for him? Why would I do that? But many of us do that. We allow situations to just immediately snatch us out of the spirit. We come in church and we're on a high. Well, ooh, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And then here come Brother Lowe. He walked right by. You don't speak. Wait up. <laughs> See, that's, that's why I don't do low. That's why I don't do low. I do not do low. No. I mean, everybody at this church is so stuck up. I don't do people at this church. And all of a sudden... We're, we're blaming the whole church. And he was probably just thinking about something he had to go do. He didn't even see you. But we assume, oh, see, he meant to do that. He meant to do that. If we allow the flesh to rule, we will completely void the power of love. We have to be spirit-led. When those things happen, instead of us being like, oh, see, that's why I don't do such and such, we're like, no, 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 Lord. Let me pray about this situation, Lord. Give me eyes to see this situation as you would see it. How can I love people in this situation? Because the only power greater than your flesh is the spirit. And we have to be a spirit-led church in order to lead with love. I believe that we are going to be, and, and this is just my heart, I believe that we as a church are going to be used in ways that you can't even imagine. You can't even imagine what God's going to do through this church. But the question is, are people going to find love, not when they walk through those doors, when they encounter us everywhere we are? Amen. Because the church is not the building. The church is us. It's every single one of us. So the question I want to ask you all is, when is the last time that you actually chose to love somebody? Okay, Thursday. That's good. When is the last time? I want you to think about that. We all have in our minds people that we just don't do, right? We all have people in our minds that, you know what, I'm, I'm good. We're good. I'm good. But love is a war. Love is a war. Now, let me say, there are some people that are toxic. Let's just be honest. There are some people that are toxic. And, you know, loving them can sometimes backfire <laughs> because your love uh, they're not ready to receive it. But that should not stop you from praying for them. That should not stop you from, if they need you and you can meet their need, meeting that need. You don't have to be in fellowship with everybody, but the potential for fellowship should be for everybody. We have to live our life in such a way that every person meets love when they meet us. And our best example of this comes from the Father himself. He said in Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, you see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we rejected him, 
he died for us. When we didn't want nothing to do with Jesus, he died for us. That is love. That is love. When the person rejects you, that is when you have an opportunity to love. And I want us to understand, church, opportunities for offense are invitations to love. Whenever you find yourself in an offense, I want you to seek the face of God and say, Lord, help me love. Help me love. I don't want to get even. I don't want to get back because let me make something really clear for you. There is no such thing as even. When you're living in the flesh, there is no such thing as even. It just gets worse and worse and worse and worse. There is no even. The only way to even out is the spirit. But the spirit is actually higher than the flesh. And so you will experience joy and frustration. You will experience gentleness when you are being persecuted. You will be able to be kind when people are being disrespectful. And the gift of it all is that you will do it with joy. I don't know about you, but I want to live a life of joy. I want to live a life of joy. I don't want anybody to be able to be able to steal my peace because if a person can steal your peace, your peace is too cheap. It's too cheap. The peace that God gives cannot be taken. It can only be yielded. You have to give it up. I don't want anybody to have the power to take my peace. So what is it that I want for Open Door? As we live out this value of I live or I, I lead with love, I don't want Open Door to be a museum of righteousness. What I mean is I don't want Open Door to just be a place where people come to see us in our clothes and how we lift our hands and they come to see the exercise of church. I don't want us to be a museum. I want us to be a hospital. I want us to be a place where broken people know they can come and they can receive healing. They can be restored. They can receive love. There are so many people who are hurt, y'all. The last thing I'm going to share with you, I hadn't even planned to share it, but the Lord is telling me to do so. Um, I was in Sacramento getting ready to speak at a conference. And normally, I get you know, makeup artists in the different cities, and, and I, I get women to do my makeup because I just, I just have a thing. I can't men do my makeup. I don't know. But I always get a woman to do my makeup, and the woman who was supposed to do my makeup the very last minute, she said, I'm so sorry, I can't make it, I'm sick. She said, but I'm going to send my associate who's going to do your makeup. And so I was just like, okay, well, who's your associate? And she was like, his name. And I was like, oh, I said, you know, I got some makeup. I can do my own makeup. I'm good. She was like, no, 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 he's really, really good. And I felt in my spirit, I was like, okay, I've never had a man do my makeup before. I was like, okay. So he comes, and he walks in, and I could immediately tell. I said, okay. He is clearly very effeminate. I, said, I can tell that he's a homosexual man. So he starts doing my makeup, and we start talking. And he asked me, he said, so, so why are you here? What are you doing? And I said to him, I said, um, I'm here to speak. Uh, I'm, I have a book coming out, and I'm talking in the book about my, my trauma as a child and how I survived physical and sexual abuse and all these things. I was sharing that. And I said, I'm also sharing how the power of faith in God was able to heal me. This man, he stops doing my makeup. And he stepped back, and he started crying. And I said, what's wrong? And he said, he said I've never told anyone this. He said, but between the ages of 5 and 13, he said, I was routinely raped by the man who is my mother's godson. And she said, he said, my mother doesn't even know this happened to me. And he said, at one point I was in the church, he said, but I left because you know, I was questioning myself. I was questioning my sexuality. I was questioning my attractions. I was questioning all these things. And he said, and as I was doing that, people were judging me. 
He said, I, I, I didn't want this. He said, but this happened to me. And as he was sharing his story with me, y'all, there was something in me that broke. Because I think we look at people and we say, oh, I can't believe you're doing that. Oh, I can't believe you're in that lifestyle. You need to just get out of that lifestyle. And what we don't realize is there is pain behind that. There is pain. It isn't our doctrine that's going to restore its love. Because once people know that we care about them, then they'll be interested in hearing what we know. But it's not until they know that we care. I keep in touch with him to this day. To this day, that's been probably six, seven months. He follows me on Instagram. I post scriptures on Instagram, and he's always messaging me, thank you so much for that. I needed that scripture right now. And what I know is he needed somebody who can speak faith and hope into his life, but he didn't have it. And I tell you this because love is going to make you in uncomfortable. Love puts us in uncomfortable positions. But that's what love does. Love is a war. I want us to pray. I'm finished with what I had to say. But I want us to pray because.